0: comment and share that we have with us the man of the hour who needs no introduction It's the one and only dark raven of the deep state himself velas giving you the play-by-play of what's going on domestically and geopolitically uh giving you the breakdown and the in the absolute synapses of the latest play-by-play so with that without further ado velas and cj what's up gentlemen how are you guys doing i'm good how are you guys doing Doing i am doing quite well my friend you know, I'm doing my VJ from Bombay impersonation. Oh, very good! <laughs> very good, my friend. <laughs> very, very good. It's a wonderful day. It is right,
1: great, well, uh, absolutely. And we Lost, can, we can get away with that because all of our ethnic groups represent different people. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. Unreal, man. Unreal. Okay, let's uh, <laughs> let's do this because I got I got a heavy amount of content on the Twitter topic that is not really in the news so sure let's go there uh so i'm gonna cover uh a couple things today folks i'm covered cover some buried treasure we're gonna get into um a little bit more about what's going on with twitter behind the scenes a victory and then the song of resistance is actually a video of resistance from bill hicks which will be posted to discord so that we can stay outside of the the anger of the the lords of the internet So, first thing, just kind of one of my reminders that I often do, um, be good to yourself, folks. Uh, It's not your imagination. I know at times many of you probably feel overwhelmed or like you're under siege. Uh, The simple fact is because you are. uh, You're an intelligent and thinking human being if you're on our show. Um, And uh, remember, uh, the globalists hate that. So, take a walk. uh, Keep trying to keep the junk food out of your diet call a friend see a friend breathe deeply uh you're okay you'll get through this uh i'm gonna post uh some music later uh also on discord by an artist named john sari uh that will help with the whole relaxation topic so give give that a go um on the durham topic um I know a lot of people want to hear that he's finally getting traction, that we're going to see things happen, et cetera, et cetera. Don't fall for that trap we've been here before. I don't want to get into it. I don't know to what degree that's going to go anywhere. If it does go somewhere, great. But if it doesn't, don't uh, don't be surprised. Um, on the treasure topic, I covered back in July of 2021 uh, a number of different um I wouldn't say buried treasures, but, but a lot of those were, were shipwrecks and things from the Spanish period. But I covered a lot about various treasures around the world and why uh, various governments were trying to get their hands on those. One of the ones I covered was um, some folks in Pennsylvania that were trying to find this missing union payroll from the Civil War. Uh, they believed was lost somewhere around the Pittsburgh area. Um, you may recall, they call, and I know it's been in the news, they called in the FBI. They were told, well, wait in your car. Uh, this was all back in 2018. The FBI came back later, told them we didn't find anything. Then the treasure hunters found out later that the FBI carted something out of there. So what's been going on is it's been in the courts. It's been in the courts for a while. And the treasure hunting group sued the Justice Department uh, to get more detail uh, a federal judge agreed with them and ordered the FBI to turn over documents and video from the dig. Um, much one of my favorites, much like asking uh, the FDA for data about uh, what criteria did they use to approve coof drugs. Uh, initially, the FBI told the judge it could take them years to locate that data and they're just really busy and they'll get to it when they can. Uh, the, the judge turned around and issued an order and told them, you have 30 days. There also appears to be missing evidence like a lot of things in our lives these days. Uh, Case in point, the FBI originally discovered keyword discovered they had 17 videos of the excavation. If you've got 17 videos of an excavation, I'm kind of thinking you found something. Um, Now they say they can only find four. (laughs) So we'll see, we'll see what happens. Um, We were having a bit of a chat on discord about this topic. You know, one of the, the main takeaways is, is that, um, the state of Pennsylvania can put out a legal argument that the money belongs to them, that it's abandoned property by the federal government. And the feds of course are going to fight that because we're, we're talking about $500 million is what this is supposedly worth. Plus you throw in a little news, numismatic value and that figure is probably going to go up. So it's, it's a mess. And like a lot of things the government does, it's going to get worse because data is finally going to come out that they did find, find it or found something like it, Um, and we'll just have to see how that turns out. I'm still waiting to see ads on TV by the Franklin Mint saying, uh, recently discovered Civil War coins, Uh, buy them now. So on the Twitter topic, um, Lord Elon Musk, uh, one of our world's elites, has purchased Twitter. And my kudos as well to whomever thought to lock down everything at Twitter to avoid sabotage, specifically certain IT steps they were taking. Um, as somebody who works in that industry, I certainly would recommend the steps they took plus many others. Um, you could also call, if you look at some of the things they're doing or that Musk has, has uh, said to be done at Twitter about preserving data, uh, preserving code, no changes made uh, in certain systems or what have you. Um you could kind of make the argument that a lot of this is the equivalent of a legal order for the preservation of evidence, but that's a different conversation and we may get into that at another time. Um, not to mention, don't forget we've got the midterms coming up and those are going to get nasty. And if Twitter is more of a forum for discussion that also both short-term and long-term, um, what do you call it, uh, is going gonna, is gonna to cause a lot of angst with the Lords of Order. Um, so we have academic-minded left-wing ideologues who are losing their minds because their kind of speech might be curtailed and the speech they don't want may be heard. Um, now, my friends, I'm sure there are ideologically-minded people who believe that. This also could be a head fake by the media. Um, but I think that's a distraction. Um, we're also hearing stories about, you know, well, there's going to be a flight of technical talent leaving Twitter, uh, because the company culture is not compatible with Elon Musk. Um, that's also disinformation. If you're willing to pay for information technology talent, you can get information technology talent, especially at a, at a company like Twitter. Trust me on that. Um, so what's the real backstory? Uh, because when a guy like Elon Musk buy Twitter to make sure there's a forum, For open public discourse. Now, I know that sounds good. And it sounds like a good marketing statement. But seriously, though, everybody, we haven't had, (laughs) we haven't had real true public discourse in the United States since the 13 colonies. And that's a fact. So, We've also discussed on Rogue that you can make the argument that Peter Thiel is involved with Elon Musk on this. There's a couple of other uh, Silicon Valley executives who's, uh, or investment people whose names have popped up suddenly as being involved with Musk on this. We also have the angle we've discussed that you've probably got some big banks who are fed up with BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street advisors turning every situation into an argument about their view of the perfect world. And of course, we have to remember that's, you could say, simply a function of one group of big money people getting mad and getting blocked out of things they used to control, getting angry with another big group of money people. But there's even more going on here. And I've got 12 points I want to share with all of you today, along with the rest of what I've got on the show. So the first point is, there are stories saying Twitter is going to stop blocking nudity and porn site redirects now that Musk is in charge. So we have to ask ourselves, well, is that a moral move or is there something else going on? Or is that a move to block intelligence agencies and other data buyers, because this is a fact, who use porn sites to provide them with the detail they need? Um, nor do I think that measure will be the last such move. There may be other things. I don't necessarily mean the porn topic, but I mean other, other things along those lines that Musk will immediately start, start dealing with. But it's as usual, it's a titillating topic, so it catches the media's attention. Second, um, some of you may have seen that in the media, we have prominent Saudi citizens are selling their yachts or registering them through holding companies, as well as unloading assets in Europe, including art. Uh, Those details are coming both out of the Wall Street Journal and the Citizen Free Press, In the case of the Citizen Free Press, the narrative was to enable the Saudis to pay bills, which is comical. I'm sorry. Wealthy Saudi Arabians who are from an oil country are having trouble paying their bills when oil is through the roof. I don't think so. Uh, This sounds more like the behavior of elites who think they're going to get the Russian oligarch treatment from the United States and others in the near term. The third item is... Remember, I said China has been rumored to be meeting with the Saudis about accepting yuan, uh, their currency, for oil. Uh, The fact Saudi Arabia might, quote-unquote, accept yuan for oil is not really the story. The story is oil is traded in dollars. It's been that way since the end of World War II. It's the old reference about the petrodollar. If China can negotiate their currency being accepted without converting it to dollars first, what does that mean for other currencies of other countries? What does that mean for even uh, cryptocurrencies? What does that mean for the dollar specifically? And a big one, what does that mean for U.S. and Saudi relations? That's not a minor matter. It's in the public domain. We invaded Iraq in 2003 for our own self-interest and that of Saudi Arabia and Israel collectively. That's known. That's published. That's documented. Our media doesn't talk about it, but there's so many books and research articles that point that out. It's you know, it's not even worth arguing. So the United States of Saudi Arabia getting into an argument about the nature of the global economy is not minor, as those arguments are logically going to include Israel. The fourth item: remember, or terribly sorry, uh, recently Mohammed bin Salman, aka MBS, the leader of Saudi Arabia, met with Jake Sullivan, the National Security Advisor to Joe Biden, and there was a shouting match with MBS. This evidently occurred when Sullivan brought up the topic of Jamal Khashoggi being killed. In international affairs, that kind of outburst doesn't really normally occur. Everybody accuses everyone diplomatically of everything. Half of it is true. Half of it is probably half true or not true at all. My feeling is there's something about that topic beyond the topic itself that caused the supposed outburst. So why does it matter? The mere fact that got into the public domain news means someone wanted it to get out publicly. And if it's public, it means it's a public argument. Fifth, a week ago, I pointed out Saudi Arabia's growth is expected to double in one year due to the lack of Russian oil, among other factors. What usually happens in business or government agencies when the department or a person becomes very successful and is very effective at getting things done? Does everyone in that organization cheer them on? Because as a management consultant, I've seen this more than once. No, it becomes human behavior 101. They get jealous. They want to rein that in because if you're making everybody else look bad. The same is true with countries. I don't mean Saudi Arabia's financial success is a problem per se. I mean, that kind of revenue can buy them favors internationally. And it also helps keep their domestic problems under control because you better believe Saudi Arabia's got some serious domestic problems. And that makes Saudi Arabia harder to control by the United States, European Union, and globalists in general, and that's a problem. Furthermore, if you think MBS doesn't have an opinion on the way the world ought to be, there's a bridge I'd like to sell you. Sixth item. You might recall that back in 2019, two Saudi nationals who were working for Twitter were accused of spying for Saudi Arabia. They were building data on IP or internet protocol addresses, emails, and related from inside Twitter on people who criticized the Saudi regime, as well as other areas of interest, quote-unquote. That was kind of left wide open. In late July of 2020, the U.S. prosecutor dropped the charges for unknown reasons, and they were let go. The seventh item, MVS has been described as making masterful use of Twitter to consolidate his popularity uh, squashes critics and manipulate the conversation for several articles that are out there about his use of social media and using it effectively. Now, the eighth item, now, now we're getting good. We've got a major head fake. You got to ask yourselves a question because you may recall when Musk was saying he was going to buy Twitter, he got into a spat with Saudi Arabia, which again, we got to kind of step back from that and think about that for a second. A country got into an argument with an individual person really. We had a public social media spat between Elon Musk about Twitter with Saudi Arabia. And Musk's response to the criticism of his possible purchase was to point out publicly Saudi Arabia's track record on free speech and human rights. Now, remember I said a few weeks ago, Saudi Arabia set a record for Friday public executions in one day. Yeah, over
0: it, over forty, if I'm not correct, right? It was like forty something.
1: I w- yeah, I wasn't sure of the total number, but it was it was it was a new I mean, national it, record. One yeah. Day. I mean they literally take the term
0: heads will roll to another level.
1: Indeed. Yes. The story out there internationally is, is that MBS was was not happy about this, and he felt it was excessive and it wasn't the time to start making a point via executions in Saudi society right now. In fact, he supposedly feels it was done on purpose to cause problems so now we're getting into why is there a saudi connection to twitter and why the social media flame war with musk now i spoke previously about patrick ryan's input on this topic and patrick's input was is that this centers on the blue checkmark thing about approved posters on twitter might actually be foreign governments now just yesterday musk said two key things he wants to do a Twitter out of the gate, among other things, is he wants to shut down bots and he wants to authenticate human users. Now, why is he focused on bots and authenticating human users? Because bots are
0: a tool employed by various state actors.
1: You bet, my friend. And if one of those countries who's weaponized Twitter, both against the United States and against their own citizens of Saudi Arabia, that's a heck of a reason, okay. as you put it. Also, not to mention the other countries involved, but there's more. Ninth item: What country provided Jeff Epstein and supposedly Ghislaine Maxwell as well a passport? Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia. Tenth item: Jeff Epstein and by proxy Ghislaine were facilitating British arms sales to Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia. Now, Vanity Fair and Daily Mail both did pieces on a financier who worked with Epstein named Steven Hoffenberg of Towers Financial, and he went to prison for a Ponzi scheme he ran from that firm. Hoffenberg has done a number of interviews, and he has said that he thought Epstein and he were in a mutual con, you know, confidence scheme against other people. He only realized later Epstein was playing him. So what's the other part of the story? Hoffenberg has said Epstein was introduced to Robert Maxwell, Ghislaine's dad, by an arms dealer named Douglas Lees. Now, who was Lees? Well, he was a British gov- during a British government investigation. They said he was involved in the 1980s in what was known as the All-Yamama Arms Deal. These deals started in 1985 and continued up until 2006. Now, let's note those years. Because that's when Epstein was active. This was a deal where Saudi Arabia provided oil to Britain in exchange for arms, with BAE being the main weapons provider. And thank you, CJ, for the article you got posted there. It's V. CJ's oh, in the back.
0: CJ oh. sipping tequila and listening to us in the background. Gotcha. <laughs> um,
1: I love so. The uh, there've also. <laughs> I feel a little. Of, Uh, there've also been countless accusations of fraud and bribes with this deal by both British and U S investigators to whom members of the Saudi Royal family, among others. So the 11th item Britain just coughed up Julian Assange. Yes, it's still in the courts, but we know where it's headed. It's as though someone was able to blackmail Britain into that action or else shall we say more arms deal details would become public. It's not that Britain selling arms to Saudi Arabia is an issue. Those deals were known. However, the question that has to be asked is, were arms sold who are not supposed to be sold to Saudi Arabia? For that matter, especially as we moved into the 2000s, were cyber weapons sold who are not supposed to be? For instance, we know that Finland and Sweden have actually sold uh, not just listening devices but monitoring equipment, Basically, basically like professional spy equipment, To countries who shouldn't have it this isn't the first time something like this has occurred and the other better part of this is is all arms deals have kickbacks and bribes especially in the middle east i've done business in the middle east so telling me people were getting paid is just thursday but how much money though and to whom and what other arrangements were part of that that we don't know twelfth item britain just said yesterday they may ban Twitter and even arrest Elon Musk if he violates their new censorship law who was passed in the name of protecting the British public. Now, you'll note not a single other social media platform anywhere in the world, not just ones in the United States, but any, any, any of them anywhere in the world, has received a warning like that from Britain, Right. which begs the question, is this about Twitter or is this about arms? Is this about bribes? Is this about Saudi Arabia? Is this about Israel? And God knows what else. Mm. Plus I find it amusing. You're threatening to arrest a a sovereign U S citizen. If he dares leave the United States, if you Britain can get your hands on him, Cause uh, there's a couple of British corporations. I think you may want to start with first, but that's just me. (laughs) So in conclusion, we've got a lot of jigsaw puzzles here and we're getting more of a picture. A picture who includes a who's who of major political players, countries, intelligence agencies, the usual unsavory people like Jeff Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell. And at this point, if I was to hear Bill Gates is involved, I wouldn't even be slightly shocked. Mm. This is a world of billionaires and intelligence agencies among other players, everybody. It's a world where rumors include things like Edward Snowden was targeted by Russian intelligence early on and managed into a position where he had no choice but to defect. There are rumors that Julian Assange was, in fact, an asset of Israeli intelligence. Consider Assange's model of operations. Provide me the data on nefarious goings-on in the world, and I'll make it publicly available. What a treasure trove of opportunity that would be if he was willing or even unaware of his being an intelligence asset. And that's that's a key item, folks, and I know that may sound strange. There are many people in the world who are intelligence assets and they don't know they are. It's something about them. It's something about the information that they receive or the trust relationship they have with others that enables them to come into detail that intelligence agencies are able to acquire either through regular break-ins into their residence or into their computer or, or other places where they store things of value. The other problem with billionaires and spy agencies is this, you can be in the big conference room with the billionaires and the intelligence people, and they can all be convinced with godlike certainty, they know what's going on. And in fact, they're as in the dark as the rest of us. Yep. They'll have more and better quality information than we do using public sources. But that doesn't mean they're any better informed, and more importantly, have actionable guidance on what to do. Plus, the disinformation at that level is truly biblical. So you've got to trust me on this. And I've said this often about powerful people. You cannot believe, truly, you cannot believe the degree of paranoia in their ranks. And it's a paranoia born out of reality. It's why movies like The Man with One Red Shoe, Sneakers, Moon Over Parador, and there's a whole list of them I could rattle off to you, are so funny to me because they're so close to reality. In fact, I had a human rights expert and South American analyst in my graduate program uh, when I was doing the international affairs work. And I remember asking him once, I said, what are your thoughts on Moon over Parador?" And he, he bust out laughing and he said, I, I wish it was that straightforward. Because the movie, the movie uh, opens with Sammy Davis Jr. and the media reporting on an assassination as it happens. And then a little while later, one of the main characters is drinking with several people around a table, and he stands up and and clinks his glass with all of them and says, to the five families. For those of you who may not be familiar, the five families is a reference in South American circles to what for years has been basically the rumor of five families running El Salvador for 100 years. But that kind of analogy about South American politics is true of many countries in South America. But to the analogy I'm making, it doesn't mean that any of those five families sitting around that table have any idea what the hell is actually going on. So again, we've got a lot going on with Twitter, and we always have to remember there's there's truth. What's the old saying that the, the truth is so important it has to be surrounded by bodyguards of lies. We're seeing a lot about Twitter. We're seeing a lot of really agitated, attention-grabbing stuff in the media. And if we're seeing this much coverage. Because like I've often said about um, powerful people or other organizations making investments in time and resources, because they don't do that unless it's, it has some meaning to them. There's a lot of other things the media could be covering right now, and yet we have such an overwhelming story in the media about the Twitter topic that everything else, every other news story is being shoved to the background. Even even things we've been discussing on Rogue on my show, at least the last two weeks, about everything from supply chain issues to uh, the food processing facilities around the country that now there's a number of articles that I think it's like 18 or what have you facilities have all been negatively impacted. I've posted all that on Discord. But even those stories are getting shoved to the back page because, oh, look, it's Elon Musk and he's saying something. so. There's a quite a, a lot going on with Twitter. It's been coming for some time. I think it's multifaceted. I know V and I have talked to, to all of you about this, that you've got a lot of folks in the big banking world, and it goes to my point before about wealthy, powerful people getting into an argument with other wealthy, powerful people. Um, Vanguard, BlackRock, and State Street Advisors, and Carlisle Group, and the rest of them cannot be allowed to just take over. Now, I know a lot of us may, I say, believe that loosely, I know a lot of us are very keen on that narrative, and I certainly believe those organizations have a plan and they're executing it with uh, biblical enthusiasm. But even if other powerful elites in the world agree in principle with the social or the control elements of what those private equity groups, the World Economic Forum, the list goes on, are trying to do, you've still got huge powerful banks out there and financial interests who are going to be left out. And I've mentioned before, we've got a lot of really powerful billionaire families in the United States who aren't in the news and you don't hear about them. And there are people like the folks in the Northwest who supposedly had a hand in all the cities on fire back in 2020. We've got some folks up there in Minnesota I've mentioned that are heavy in the food industry. Uh, we've got some people out in Colorado and in the, in, in the deep South that most folks have never even heard of, but these people wield uh, godlike power on the earth. Um, you don't get to take over and leave the other big kids out. So the the Twitter thing is not Twitter. It's about what Twitter facilitates. It's about what Twitter enables. It's about what Twitter exposes. And equally, we are never quite aware until the whistleblowers come out later. We're never quite aware. Uh, of things until a later time we don't know what else twitter is monitoring or has been monitoring we don't know what other things twitter's got sitting on servers somewhere in their data centers remember what i told all of you about the hack of sony that had nothing to do with north korea that was a much much bigger topic and remember the blackmail issue. Never, remember, remember the 5th of November. Never <laughs> forget the blackmail topic, folks. How much possible blackmail does Twitter have available and so on? So I'll stop at that point, V and CJ, if you guys have some thoughts.
0: No, no, no. Keep going. We're doing a great job. I just want to okay. share, uh, I just want to let you know that Netflix has a new documentary coming out. There <laughs> it is right there. Okay. That's Elon. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad it's not a, 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 a. At least it's a male uh, for what I could assume the gender is. But yeah, that is going to be the new documentary from Netflix. Elon, <laughs> go ahead, Velas.
1: Sure, man. Well, and and Twitter right now reminds me for any of you, and I'm I'm dating myself as usual. For any of you who may remember the old comic strip called Doonesbury, Uh yeah, Oh yeah. Well, was, yeah, they did a whole thing for a couple of weeks back in the 1980s when 60 Minutes was found having lied and fabricated information to to spice up one of their stories, and so they they ran this again, uh, telling the truth through fiction, uh, telling the truth through through animation. Um, they had this this narrative running for weeks about 60 Minutes reporters interviewing themselves about their own corruption. So it's like. I'm morally safer and this is me interviewing myself about the crimes I committed. And then I got an argument with myself. I I get visions of, of, uh, of Netflix doing a documentary about what Netflix did that screwed Netflix up. So uh, about the cyber security aspect folks in the power grid, uh, my regular commentary about, about that. And I'm saying grids plural on purpose. Uh, Should it occur? It was not Russia, it was not Pakistan, it was not China, it's self-inflicted or it could also be our friends in the Levant in the Middle East. Between the supply chain problems, food production issues suddenly in the news and everything else, and we say this often here at Rogue and we're not the only ones, Mike Moore has been talking about it, there's a whole bunch of other people who've been saying it stock up stock up where you can and and when you can however you are able and reasonably so i've shared with all of you i've had some folks come to me and say oh i want to purchase a couple 55 gallon plastic drums to store water and i'm scratching my head saying i i appreciate the effort but you're in the midwest water is not your problem you just need some iodine tablets and and uh, a little hand operated pump to clean your water that's that's a different topic but um Better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it, to quote one of my Eastern European relatives. Um, when will such a- events occur? Who knows? Could be today. Could be the summer. Could be right before the midterms. Could be after the midterms. Also keep in mind, if half the things we've heard about the midterms come to pass and certain people take over certain committees, uh, those, in- those investigations that are threatened could reveal a lot of things that can't be revealed. So, we'll see. And speaking of timing, uh, just a reminder, there was a World Economic Summit, a big one, that took place in the Emirates when we were all distracted by the Will Smith slap of Chris Rock. I'm, I'm quite serious about that. Uh, Klaus Schwab stated at that meeting, this is a fact, folks, he stated at that meeting that the Great Reset has started. So, I don't know how much more official things can be than that. So, a victory. A victory been a while since we've had a victory there's victories out there i just haven't been able to cover them there's an area near cincinnati ohio called goshen and they recently had their school board president a man named john gray resign after being caught trying to procure sex with an 11 year old girl a private group of volunteers who work with law enforcement called predator catchers indianapolis or pci cj i'm looking in your direction because that's in your neck of the woods. They identified him as part of one of their investigations and there's a video record of it and his arrest. What's even sadder about this is the Ohio School Boards Association of Southwest Ohio just given the guy an award in 2020 for his 15 years of service. It is a victory though and there's a victory in three parts. The first thing is this guy's out of his job period. Second private investigation groups are helping law enforcement in their effectiveness. Now we've all talked about bureaucracy and how hard it is to get things done and we've got uh, a fan of the show and a a very vigorous friend of ours on discord who who knows the legal system well and knows that a lot of times that's just a function of are you using the legal system in the right way but the final analysis if you've got evidence of a crime and as long as you're not in Delaware um, you can get things moving law enforcement has has to act prosecutors have to act plus it's in their 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 best interest to act because it makes them look better CJ's also often said this many, many times, the message about work locally. There's many ways to get involved in a number of different things, not just this topic. And third, this publicizes again how prominent the problem is and to remain vigilant. If you have a Twitter account, go check out a group called An Open Secret uh, as they report on stories like this. And in fact, just uh, last evening, they had a posting that in the past week, I think there was 15 or 18 nationally, school administrators, teachers, and others who've all been either convicted or are being charged with things like this. Now, again, the mainstream media is not going to report that because we got to talk about Twitter. But there's a lot of traction out there. And uh, it's it's just got to remain vigilant and got to stay on these things. In the stress relief category, to my comment earlier, if you're feeling things are just getting too heavy in your life, I suggest you go to Twitch and subscribe to the channel jazz Air. Uh, J-A-H-Y-Z-E-R. Uh, in the phonetic, yeah. Juliet, Alpha, Hotel, Yankee, Zulu, Echo, Romeo. This guy doesn't have regularly scheduled times for being on the air, and you'll need to kind of, you know, uh, let you get the little notification, let you know he's on the air. You can watch his prior broadcast, but you got to pay a small fee to do that. The host is a DJ out of the Bay Area of California. And the guy, I, I, I can't even <laughs> say enough about this guy. He starts his show and rolls a joint on the air and smokes it throughout the start of the show. And he's got this, like, various island backgrounds behind him. And he plays, like, some of the best reggae music there is out there. And just as long as the joint's burning, he keeps running the show. (laughs) So if the stress is too much, and even if you're in a drug-free environment, the music is awesome. So you you may want to go check out this guy's bit. because Love reggae. It's just so cool. And his, his, uh, his fan base is huge and, and really colorful little icons and stuff. Folks have gotten their messages and stuff when he's, when he's, uh, rolling music. Um, there was a visual capitalist article, uh, on revenue that I posted on the Vela's page on Monday, the 24th. Yes. And don't forget hobo sermons on Thursday and Friday. Um, hobo does great, great work. um, It showed that the top IT firms in Silicon Valley generate $1.4 trillion in revenue. That's more than the gross domestic product of Brazil, Indonesia, Mexico, or Spain, among a number of other countries. And the importance of that kind of revenue cannot be understated from the perspective of influence, especially when there's so many well-researched articles demonstrating the connections of Silicon Valley with U.S. intelligence. Um, Speaking of Ghislaine, um, her brother-in-law, uh, here's an item off the back page of the news. We all missed a guy named Al Sakel. Uh, he was married to Ghislaine Maxwell's sister, Isabel. You'll recall my comments about Isabel and the other sister who run a number of it security firms who sell their wares exclusively to the FBI and the CIA. Sakel died in 2015 and it took seven years uh, until April 14th, before officials announced that, and I quote, he probably committed suicide by throwing himself off a cliff. I'm sure you'll all be shocked by this. He was a well known documented con man among everything else. So, with that, oh, Shaba Ranks. Yes, boy, that's a throwback.
0: <laughs> Mr. Ugly Man. Shaba, <laughs>
1: Shaba Ranks. Me Mr. Ugly Man, they call me Mr. Ugly. <laughs> <laughs> so i'll uh i'll open the floor for uv and cj i've got maybe one or two other items i can roll into if if no you you're doing
0: you're doing a kick-ass job man you're just laying it down keep going brother you're on a great flow
1: okay um oh uh just a reminder folks on uh, bear with me monday the 9th of may uh i will be appearing on uh frank at quite frankly's program at 7 p.m uh you can find him on d live and and uh his first half of his show is on youtube uh but i will uh i will be there um a couple things there's a gentleman on youtube um brendan o'donnell or o'connell he's very good he's out of australia um He brought this up recently, which caught my attention because I know Matthew Arrett has gone into this a lot. This is the topic of Germany and Russia. And just a reminder, um, you know, Matthew Arrett's talked a lot about how great powers react when Germany is getting too close to anybody, uh, especially if it's Russia. And historically, since the middle 1800s, Europe and especially Britain have been trying to avoid at all costs cooperation between Germany and Russia. And certainly near and dear to my heart is the fact that Imperial Russia's relationship with Imperial Germany was sidetracked by British subterfuge, leading eventually to World War I. Then again, prior to World War II, we had growing cooperation between Nazi Germany and the Soviet Union, but thanks to the egos of the dictators involved, uh, the British didn't need to do much to sink that relationship. And since the unification of Germany in the 1990s, uh, the West has been concerned about any growing closeness between Germany and Russia. So therefore, of the many reasons why conflict is broken out in Ukraine, uh, one of those reasons is to help distract and prevent further German and Russian cooperation, uh, i.e. Nord Stream 2, anybody. Uh, also remember, and this is kind of funny, if the German Green Party had not moved Germany away from nuclear power, we would not have the, the energy problems we're seeing in Europe right now, Russia or no Russia. France, I forget what the actual figure was. I want to say it was 40 or 50%, maybe as high as 60%, of all French power production was nuclear. Germany also had a very high figure. But the minute the Greens party and the environmental concerns, which is stunning if you think about it, because yes, I know we've got Chernobyl, we've got Three Mile Island, we have the accident that occurred in Japan, and nothing will scare the hell out of people like a pandemic will, like the topic of nuclear energy going south. The problem, and it's been said by many, is is that the newer designs of nuclear power plants are unbelievably superior to those that have existed before. And by the way, Japan's power plant design was crap. Uh, That's one of the reasons why that went down. Um, Nuclear energy really is the way to go. If you're concerned about the environment, if you're concerned about cutting back on fossil fuel usage, et cetera, plus the conflicts that creates... Nuclear power is the way to go. So again, this is another one of those head scratchers where we got to say, well, what was the outcome? Well, Europe moved away from a, I I say renewable kind of loosely, but but a source of power that freed up their need to use coal or oil or similar to generate energy, which created massive instability across Europe. Well, then that would probably be the reason why it happened. So that also gets back into the whole multipolar unipolar world, which is what I was discussing last week. I'm also about halfway through the book The Real Anthony Fauci by Robert F. Kennedy. Some takeaways about that book I wanted to share.
0: Great book. I have. It's fantastic.
1: How much of it have you read? Not all of it, man.
0: Probably the first few chapters. Go ahead.
1: Yeah. Um <laughs> this is this is one of those books, folks, that like when I was an undergrad or grad school. And I'm looking through the textbooks my, my professors want me to read through or what have you. And if I flip open the book and I see, <laughs> I see the text is really tiny, my classmates and I would always just roll our eyes and be like, oh, shit, it's one of these books. Um, it's, well, first of all, there's a lot I can say and a lot that could be said about the Kennedys as a family, uh, their history and politics, the personal choices of many of the leaders of that family, et cetera. And of course, you know, Robert is the son of, of Robert Kennedy, uh, John's brother who was killed in 68, and much like his dad, uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. has a strong belief in human rights and real uh, egalitarian measures in society, and he has real guts for writing this book. Um I've said it often here on Rogue. There's a lot of things because of my life where I've worked, who I've worked for, where i got to show a lot of restraint here on the show. <laughs> There's I've joked with V and CJ a number of times about topics I'm going to cover, and I'm like, and I'm going to stop about right here, because if I go past here, we're all going to be getting knocks on our doors, and I don't want to do that. Um, I hope, I like to believe, I know the sorts of things that will, will get you in trouble with the powers that be, and and that's why I try to be cautious about some of the things I cover. I can tell you, though, if, if I or others I know had created a book like this, uh, there'd be nothing left of us but a pair of smoldering shoes on the sidewalk. Um, I'm, I'm amazed it got produced. I'm amazed he could get it published. Um, he has been horrifically attacked. Uh, even if you pull up the Wikipedia profile on on Robert Kennedy Jr., the, the first sentence is, you know, littered with conspiracy theorists, you know, yada, yada, yada. So about the book itself. Now, I'm not going to get into much of the detail, but, but some, some high points just so you're aware. Each chapter in the book is kind of a standalone. Uh, and it's, it's each of those topics in each chapter has been, and when I say extensively, I mean extensively documented with endnotes uh, following that chapter. Uh, now, the thing is, is it's all open source information, but that's kind of loaded um, because I can tell you that certain documents, certain databases can be immense. You know, when I, uh, I once wrote a paper on, on um, the use of children as terror in certain countries in the Middle East through the use of torture, one, one of my source documents for that uh, graduate work I did was a 3,000-page report by the United Nations. And it took a long, long time to break that down, find the content I needed. I mean, there's a lot of good information in it, but I couldn't use all of it, etc. So, um, you know, it really strikes me that that it, it must have taken he and obviously the team of people who helped him produce this book an incredible amount of time to build the data for each chapter, plus the speed with, with which it was produced, um, unlike klaus schwab who's able to write books about topics as they happen uh if you remember my comment from last week uh the size of the book is deceptive because like i said the print is small and the only i wouldn't even use the word criticism the only takeaway i'd offer you about the book is is that each chapter is thoroughly documented at the end of that chapter but unfortunately in the back of the book there's no like index where you can look up let's say bill gates i want to find all references of bill gates in this book um so That's why as I'm reading it, which you know I'm one of those people, as the old joke goes, I read a comic strip with a highlighter. Um, I've got tabs in this thing. I've got two different colors of ink. I've got two different colors of highlight. Uh, I've got my own little system I use for, for calling out when I go through books I've read uh, where certain key people are or what have you. That was also true, by the way, because of those books that were the first couple of books that were written on Jeff Epstein were written in a similar fashion. They were produced so quickly that there wasn't a, the time to kind of really do a good index in the back of finding certain things. So the meat of the book, and this is all kind of high level, there are numerous examples in that book about how much money U.S. agencies within health and human services, and that includes the people I've talked about before, CDC, National Institutes of Health, Fauci's group, NIAID, uh, have received and spent. Uh, The book covers how there is now at this time a near lock by pharmaceutical companies on drug approvals. Uh, as long as they're within Fauci's good graces. The book talks in detail about Fauci literally instituted a system. Now, I know he's, he's leading NIAID, and I also pointed out to all of you on a prior show, his wife is like the ethics lead for CDC, which <laughs> even in government agencies that I've worked with in the Department of Defense, where things were kind of a wink and a nod and you knew stuff was happening, even in that world, folks, there were limits to what we could do. And the stuff that I read about that's going on inside HHS is just like. Even the most powerful corporations that were my partners on projects and things I worked, people would be in prison. Uh, if if we had done half the stuff that is outlined in this book, uh, it talks a lot about his methodologies of how he he seized control of NIAID. Uh, in the 1980s, and the near dictatorial power he has inside that group, uh, which is part of NIH. um, There's a bit of a psychological profile uh, on Fauci. Uh, Then the big one. There's a lot of coverage, and I understand why Robert Kennedy did this. There's a lot of coverage around the history of the AIDS crisis in the 1980s, because Fauci at that time was part of NIAID, and he argued that because it was a communicable disease, that NIAID should be in charge of investigating it, not uh, um, at that time a much larger component in the Health and Human Services Agency, which was a group dedicated to researching cancer. And that's how he really started the floodgates of funding and other things uh, to manage that health event. But it was the AIDS crisis, which is where he developed really deep relationships with various pharmaceutical uh, firms and university medical programs. And it became the template for COVID, uh, including methods of silencing or gaslighting critics and keeping the government at bay. He's got at his uh, tick a boom. Um, I would say sociopath because a psychopath has has no restraint and it will just kill people at will. But yeah, you're you're in the neighborhood. Uh, sociopathic is definitely uh, in the in the uh, profile. Um, yep. But. Fauci has developed a masterful way of huge amounts of money. And at in current time, his total spend, I think, is somewhere around seven billion dollars. Now I worked for a research facility that had about three to four billion of spend a year, and I know the kind of influence we had. So he's got huge amounts of government money coming in, but but the book gets into detail about the fact, and I've mentioned this before. Health and Human Services and all of its sub-agencies, CDC, NIH, et cetera. Um, oh, I wouldn't say corrected, Tika. I would just say adjusted. Um, but what they've done is, is that that agency can receive stipends of money. And if any other federal agency or leader of a federal agency received money from public-private partnerships, quote-unquote, your butt would be in jail. But at HHS, it's legal. Now, the other thing the agency does, it's profiled in this book in detail, is staff and researchers and others at the agency. Now, <laughs> this is where I'm sitting in front of a risk management board, looking at people, asking them to like <laughs> put two and two together and, and get their heads straight. These agencies, what they do, or these components of, of HHS, they can allow their staff, well, <laughs> While you're being paid a federal salary, to go over to a pharmaceutical firm or their partners and help them with their research or or provide them guidance and also be paid separately by those firms. Now, in most situations, folks, as a government contractor, that is violently illegal because the government is obsessed I know in practice, it doesn't work out that way, but the government is violently obsessed with anything that looks like fraud or similar. Now, we all know it goes on, but I'm just saying that that the structure of the way things work is to prevent that by any, any means necessary. So you've got a whole bunch of people inside that agency now that are making huge amounts of money. In some cases, the book profiled, I think it's 20 to 30% of what they make every year they, they, they get that 20 to 30% of that figure, they get added on because they're out there working for these firms, which adds legitimacy to, say it with me, any of the drugs those firms who are in Fauci's good graces put through the FDA process. And of course, we've discussed here on Rogue, we had all these high-level resignations from HHS uh, last year. We had all these uh, high-level resignations from the FDA. The, the lock at this point is now complete now what's equally funny is is the book profiles there have been multiple general accounting office or gao investigations into him and his groups and hhs in general and these are all very informative it's just that nobody's bothering to read those reports unless they're kind of a policy wonk or a dc insider who knows how to find them and bothers to read them yes susan collins sky queen um So it's not like the government investigations have not gotten to the bottom of what's going on over there. So this is again, I said earlier on today's show, this thing about should the midterms go a certain way and certain people take over certain committees. You'll hear people often say, Well, Fauci's gotta go or whatever. It's like, well, but Fauci's a cancer. I mean, there's no other way to say it. He's a cancer on the agency. So you can't just rip him out. You may kill the patient. I know that sounds weird, but There are so many people connected to him and such networks connected to him that normally in Washington, you will, to use the language of an attorney, rise to the level of being such a problem, they got to get you out of there. But with Fauci, he is the system. We've just not seen that tip of the iceberg until COVID cruised around. Most people forget Fauci was involved in the AIDS crisis as far back as the 1980s, and he's still there. He was in the same role. That's what's interesting. Well, he's an advisor to the government. Bullshit. He runs an entire department inside National Institutes of Health. He's been there since the 80s. The the man is virtually God inside that organization, and no one would have even remembered what he and his minions were doing until the COVID crisis came along and he had to resurface. And I've mentioned on a prior show, it was none other than the Village Voice, certainly not the paragon of conservative uh, <laughs> reporting, who in 1988 wrote one of the most scathing reports on Fauci and what he did to the, to the gay community by pushing for the AZT drug that had, and this is profiled in the book, has absolutely no medical benefit. In fact, the gay community was more focused on finding ways to treat people who were suffering from AIDS to treat the symptoms as well as trying to prevent the disease.
0: Not only that, I mean, let's not forget the fact that the Fauch St. Anthony was uh, frequenting San Francisco bathhouses to study homosexuals. <laughs>
1: <Yes>. So, <laughs> bloody idiots! You, you had all of these these um, medical groups and volunteer groups in the 1980s who were working with the gay community, or or just people who had been afflicted with AIDS. Because you have to remember that that for those of us that lived through those years, you had people through blood transfusions and and other things were coming down with HIV. Yep. So there was a strange dichotomy because back then in American culture, there was a real flare up about the gay community and similar. I understand. I lived through those years, but you had strange bedfellows of people saying, look, people are dying. We got to put aside our political differences and we got to work on this together. They created such a pushback that Fauci had to meet with them. And they kept saying, well, we've got this data. We've got, we've got other evidence that shows other drugs, other treatments, would be highly effective in at least easing these people's pain, much less trying to prevent the disease. And Fauci in the book, you know, he starts screaming at these people saying, you're not following my scientific methods, so therefore your data is unallowable. And the problem got so bad that none other than Henry Waxman, a man for whom I have like maybe 1% of anything. Oh, I hate Wax. He looks uh, like a rat. I know. And... Say it with me. It was Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi and Henry Waxman in the 1980s were the ones, (laughs) the universe has a sense of humor, they were the ones who came down on Fauci. Let me say that again. It was Nancy Pelosi and Henry Waxman who went after him and said, you've betrayed us at the time. We gave you hundreds of millions of dollars. This is the 1980s. We gave you hundreds of millions of dollars to conduct this research and you have nothing to show for it. And Fauci was on the defensive, but of course, what happened? He adapted, he overcame, he modified the way he markets himself. He intensified the way that he's, he's, you know, the book goes into a lot of detail about he loves the camera and he loves the spotlight, but you are never allowed to ask him a question. He doesn't want to hear. He's very careful about his crafted image and behind closed doors. He's an absolute beast. Uh, he tears into people, he attacks them. He'll threaten them openly in meetings about not only cutting off their money, but the university they used to attend. Uh, he'll go after them six ways from Sunday. And so just to kind of scumbag, just to kind of lay it out for you, you've got a situation where the 1980s entrenched, powerful politicians love or hate them like Henry Waxman, like Nancy Pelosi who in their own self-interest, but also back then they still had a bit of a soul, took Fauci to task. And now as we sit in 2022, Nancy Pelosi, in addition to her drinking problem, is an absolute wreck. She's been absolutely run into the ground by the pharmaceutical industry. Same thing with Waxman and others. And this kind of dovetails back into the Twitter topic. When you have powerful people with powerful interests... And they're in agreement. That is rarely a good thing for the rest of us. But as we're seeing with the with the Twitter topic, um, we've now got cleavages that are starting to form because what they're doing is is causing problems for other powerful groups. And as I often say, we'll just have to keep this monitored and see where it takes us. So with that, I'll open the floor for you, V, and CJ.
0: Um, no, I think uh, you covered the lot of ground. Siege, you want to add anything to that? No, and gosh, no good, good information, Velas. and you know the, we're gonna have to wait and see. I believe it was that the Department of Homeland Security has a new board assigned as far as uh, disinformation.
1: Yes. Board. Uh, yes also, the the think speak uh, department. Yes, straight out of Orwell. Yes.
0: <laughs> the the lead woman, the woman who was heading that department, is an individual who was the, was in charge of saying that Hunter Biden laptop is Russian disinfo. So she's the one leading it. We're all in good hands,
1: folks. Yes, to, to quote Ed McMahon from Johnny Carson, yes.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> what a joke. Ju- you know, and, and, and it's, it's – they are more and more being – they're really going from tyranny to more tyranny, and all they're doing is showing their hand. These people are going to pay, come the polls. And like what Gus says, if on um, the you know, the twenty twenty two midterms, all of a sudden, you know, they say, Hey, you know what, we gotta stop counting at three PM and we'll let you know right, in two weeks right. what happens, you
1: know it's over.
0: It's it's like I mean, Gus said it so perfectly. It's like uh the Bronx tale. Now you now you can't leave.
1: Right. <laughs> By the way, everybody, for my for my next show next next week, um I've got a photo for you. And uh Ooh. It's got Millie Weaver sitting next to oh, some boy. people, so <laughs> I'm gonna go into oh, some boy. detail on that, and you're all gonna get a real, a real kick out of this. Uh, yeah i uh, i can't let I can't let go of Millie. Uh, I've discovered some more things about Millie that that uh, I'd like to share with all of you. But uh, you, uh,
0: you're you're doing a your show tomorrow too, right? No, okay. no, sir. Right. Okay. Got it.
1: Okay. Perfect.
0: All right, gentlemen, thank you all for, uh, folks, thank you all for listening in, and gentlemen, thank you for uh, showing up today. And, uh, folks, we'll be back tomorrow, 11 a.m., same bat time, same bat channel. You got Harley
1: tomorrow, right? You got Harley. Okay, go. I th-
0: See, we have Harley tomorrow, or did Harley cancel? Harley should be on. Yeah, you should be good to go. Okay. Got it. All right, cool. All right, folks, we'll be back tomorrow. Be well. Cheers.